Hey, good morning. My name is uh, Marty Young. It's not Andrew Young. It's not Andrew Hickel. Uh, but truth be told, I, I don't care what you call me, but what do they say? Don't call me late for supper. And uh, you can tell they haven't often. Um, I am uh, <clears throat> recently a uh, resident of this, this great state. I also am recently uh, uh, a resident at Christian City. So I've got a number of my neighbors with me and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And uh, Andrew and I got to know each other, oh, well over a year ago in a group that we preachers get together. There's 40 of us that get together every Wednesday by Zoom call from across the United States, everywhere from Massachusetts to Oregon into Canada. We get together and we talk about you all. No, not really. Uh, we, uh, we just acknowledge that uh, sometimes it does get lonely, and it's important that we just get a chance to work on sermons together. We just do some coaching, people going through things that some of us further down the road have, uh, have gone through, and so we get to talk about that. But uh, anyway, uh, I have most recently come, my wife Diane and I have both most recently come from Utah, 20 years ministry there. A uh, total of 50 years in ministry, including uh, uh, time as a Christian school administrator. And uh, that was over in, part of it was over in Decatur at the Mount Carmel Christian Church. So uh, we have kind of circled back. So it's like a bad penny. You got us back again. And uh, that's just unfortunate for you all. Um, I want to do say, though, thanks for the invitation. Thanks uh, for the opportunity to bring a lesson from God's Word today. Uh, I really appreciate Andrew giving me the opportunity. He asked me about a month ago when we realized we were coming here, and uh, uh, I was excited to have the first the opportunity to study. I've been retired from pulpit ministry for about a year and a half and really haven't preached that much. And as a result, I was excited again to get back into the Word and study and look at the commentaries and that kind of stuff. And now I'm excited to speak to you guys this morning. Uh, as it's always the case with me anyway, I usually find out that the instruction that uh, God seems to be urging me to bring uh, is really something that he wants to bring to me as I bring it to you all. So we're going to unpack the Word of God together this morning, if that's all right. And uh, uh, I'm a teacher at heart, and so it's important that uh, as I prepare this, that I not just deliver the message in some fashion that keeps you awake, but uh, in such a way that you can receive it just the way God's wired you. Receive it and respond to it for your own benefit, but for the benefit of this community that God asks you to be the salt and the light in, and also for the glory of God. So uh, I hope you, when you came in, everybody was given a, uh, a an outline. If you don't have one, uh, you can raise your hand. Maybe somebody will bring it to you. Uh, if you don't want to use it, don't raise your hand. Just uh, That's embarrassing to me when you're just turning on the back and drawing pictures of me from the front. You know, so uh, it, whatever. But this is, this is where I hope we're going to go and how we're going to lead. And in addition, uh, there will be, uh, in addition to the note-taking, there will be a, a PowerPoint presentation on the back screen. And in that case, uh, there will be scriptures there. There will be key points to what we're talking about this morning. And uh, in just a minute, you're not only going to hear the text that we're going to be uh, going from this morning, you're gonna, I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to stand and, and read it aloud. So whatever kind of learner you are, you teachers know this, there are different learning styles. 
And uh, so whatever kind of style fits you best, whether you're auditory or whether you're tactile or, or, or visual or maybe verbal, uh, we, I, I hope I reach you, or God reaches you, with these, uh, with these attempts to deliver the message in a way that's going to uh, touch your heart and is, might also uh, uh, reach reach you to reach others uh whatever kind of learner you are um in truth i was following a message one sunday i i determined that one guy who greeted me going out was actually learned by the sense of smell uh he went out and he said this sermon stinks and so consequently, uh, I, I, I just gave him credit for just learning one more way. And, uh, but I hope there's none of you like that in there this morning. Seriously, though, I'm trying to provide ways in what I feel is a section of important truth from the Word of God. It's all important. This is important, too. And uh, I hope it will intersect with you in such a way that uh, you discover what God as for you to learn this morning, but not just learn, but to assimilate and to, to do according to his will in your life. I don't know much about Fayetteville Christian Church. Uh, this is only my second time here in, in recent weeks. I, I, what I do know already and what Diane and I have talked about is the fact that you guys are very welcoming. And you are very warm, and you're very, you were very gracious to Diane and I, as I hope you are, to all guests as they're, uh, as they're present. I also know in spending time with Andrew that you, you're loved by your preacher. Your preacher loves you, and he, he has not told me anything but good words about you guys. So that's, that's a plus there. But he's not here this morning. And because he's not here this morning, I want to take the opportunity to ask you a question. A question that uh, uh, if you feel comfortable, I want you to just shout it out. If not, I want you to just nudge the person next to you and tell them, tell them what's going on. But if we shout them out, I don't know, maybe I'll have Helen take, it, take notes. And we can give them all to Andrew when he comes back. Uh, but the question, very simply, is, is, is a personal assessment kind of thing. No right or wrong answers. But the question I want you to respond to is this. What do you think Fayetteville Christian Church should be doing that it's not? Or what could it be doing better than it already is? Anybody want to venture a, a, a word? I, I don't want to treat us. I don't want you to take over this message. I'm preaching it. But uh, any, any brief comments? Any, anybody got anything to say? Turn to each other and mention some things. Then I'm, I'm scary, I know. So just, just think about it. I, but, but, but in truth... It's a broad question, isn't it? There, and there's really no right or wrong. But maybe it's something that's been on your mind. There's maybe 125 folks in here this morning. And, and if I had done an anonymous survey and given Helen more work to do during the week, um, it, it, there probably would have been as many opinions as there were respondents. Because we've, we've all got different agenda, agendas. And... and uh, just know that you're not like the Lone Ranger in that regard. That would be the case for just about any church, given that opportunity, perhaps, any church that bears Christ's name. But with that potential for confusion, because we can't all do it the same way, you can only imagine a variety of worship styles. 
you, all taking place on the stage at the same time, all, a variety of preaching methods, all, all behind different pulpits at the same time. It would be confusing. And uh, I do think, though, that it, it should cause us to wonder, what, what does Paul offer in the way of advice? Uh, he, he was the planter of many churches. He was the counselor to dozens of congregations across the Roman Empire. He was the mentor to many young preachers and offering advice to what they might need to know about the work of the local church and the instructions that they should give the local church and, and how they might ought to lead. I'm sure you realize you don't have to wonder that. You don't have to wonder at all. In the, in the book of the New Testament, in the New Testament, there are books there are sections of scripture that are given to us for just that purpose. First, there's the book of Acts, which is a history book. And in that history book, there are important subjects for the church to, to understand in terms of carrying forward, of, of first importance, as was shared in the communion. Uh, there are there is how one is to be saved, how the church is to evangelize, how the church is to nurture and, and grow up new disciples. Um, there are also letters of instruction for the church as it operates because uh, the Apostle Paul talks about church life and he talks about polity and, and the, the uh, program of a, of a church. There's at least seven different congregations he talks to and nine different correspondences. Uh, he writes three letters, specifically to young preachers, First and Second Timothy and then Titus. And these are written to ones who let, led those congregations. And we've been for the last month or so in the book of First Timothy, Paul's first letter to his young protege, where Paul's message to him was how should he lead a specific church, the church at Ephesus, into more spiritual work and by extension, the important work that the church, I believe, should be doing today. But I want you to know that 1 Timothy is more than just a ministry manual. Uh, yes, I've used it many times over the years uh, in leading fellowships uh, that desired leaders to all be on the same page so that the church would be about the most productive ministries possible. I've used Paul's letters to Timothy and, and Titus to fine-tune the tasks and the responsibilities of a local church leadership teams, whether they were elders or deacons or, or uh, staff. I've used it to offer a checklist of qualities for those in those positions. Uh, use them even as performance evaluations and personal goal setting. Now, just understand, I, and I want to confess this uh, before we go too much farther, and that was the fact that they, my earlier attempt at a Q&A, um, it was not for the purpose of creating a laundry list that uh, can be handed to Andrew when he gets back on Tuesday and uh, say, we need to be doing more of this or less of this. No, quite the contrary. Even though your, your concerns may be valid, what I want to do is to just gather whatever it is that's on your mind this morning, whatever it is you're thinking to get today, I want to gather together under one overarching umbrella, uh, one overarching activity that if it were priority, prioritized, it would allow any church to be the church 
that God is going to use in his, in his work. So, all that being said, we're, we're, we're finally there. To show deference, to show honor to the word of God, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and read aloud with me the opening verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to step to the side. Don't worry about it. Those of you online, the important stuff's going to be behind me, okay? So let's, uh, let's look at 1, at 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 6, and then also verse 8. Read along with me if you would. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, that this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray. Thank you. Be seated. Just pray that God will add his, his direction and instruction as we go through this word this morning. In the book of 1 Timothy, Andrew has already brought to you the fact that uh, Paul begins this letter with warning and with instruction. He warns Timothy that there are wolves in the flock. And he also warns Timothy or, or challenges Timothy to understand that it's his duty to fight those wolves as the preacher, and as a leader in the church. But he also, in that chapter and leading on for the rest of it, he also talks about the importance of leading the sheep. Leading the sheep in clear, clear doctrine, leading the sheep in a holy lifestyle, all of those things which would together bring about unity in the church. And the first thing... Uh, he does is say that what is important if you read it with any attention just a minute ago you know it he calls the church to pray now the big question at that point I guess is what does it mean to be a praying church uh, I this week as I was putting the final touches on this message I, I texted Andrew before he left home, left town and I said uh, um, that last week I had grabbed one of your welcome cards and I had uh, flipped it over and on the back side there is a place for name, address, email and also to list any prayer requests and the key note was, was that the, all of this was prefaced with a comment at the top that says Fayetteville Christian Church is a praying church so i asked him i said uh, what are the evidences of that declaration that fayetteville christian church is a praying church and to y'all's credit even though perhaps not all of you are involved in the activity he gave me a variety of opportunities 
that take place around Fayetteville Christian, a, a number of focuses that take place in different Bible studies and, and uh, um, Sunday school classes that really focus on prayer. So this morning, I, I'm not here to critique or to evaluate how prayer-saturated Fayetteville Christian is or isn't as a body of believers. Um, in fact, I'm just going to want to lay out before you what Paul seems to give us as a measuring stick to offer instruction on how to be a praying church or to be more of a praying church than you already are. And we're going to do so by just getting into God's word brought to us through the writings of Paul and we're just going to go through this section of scripture with a few things. You'll notice on your, on your outline, it's there for you to circle any words you want to circle, highlight, underline, whatever you want to do to make it happen. And then, of course, on the back, you can take any notes that you might think you'd like to remember for, for going forth. So uh, we're, we're just going to read this section of scripture and also some supportive scriptures that uh, will allow you to maybe meditate on or, or commit to later on as you go forth from this place. But notice the first thing that Paul says is basically prayer. In a praying church, to pray is to do the most, to take the top priority activity into your experience and in your life. Pray as a, a praying church praise as if it is a top priority. He says, I urge then first of all. Now this letter goes on to deal with some very practical matters. He deals with instructions about women in ministry in that culture. He talks about the, the character of elders and deacons and how to care for widows and many other important matters. He gives, at some points, he actually commands them to do things. But the first thing he does is an appeal. First is an appeal to pray. Not pray to start everything, first of all. Every meeting, every service, every whatever. No, he says, first of all, pray in terms of this should be the most important thing that is noticed and recognized in whatever else you do. Prayer is the most important thing that the church can do. Everything else is rooted in the church's commitment to believing prayer and doing it. Notice he uses the word urges. Urges. This is not a command. This opening thing is not a command. In fact, I don't know how you handle commands. Uh, I don't necessarily do them well. I remember our oldest boy was back in the day when we didn't have to have seatbelts on. He was standing in the, in the front seat of, his car, of our car. And of course, we're driving. And I said, sit down. And he said, no. I said, sit down. And he just shook his head. I just reached over, took his legs, flipped them out from under him, sat him down. And he said, I may be sitting down, but in my, my mind, I'm standing up. You know, sometimes that's, what, that's the way we approach a lot of the things that are commands. We don't realize they're for our own good. We don't realize that they're, they're, they're there because God wants the best for us. And I think sometimes that's the case with prayer. I, I'm sure your prayer meeting on Wednesday night is packed, right? 
don't, don't answer that. But it, it, we forget that we're what we're called to be and what we're called to do. And sometimes that is simply because what's good in the church program is has become the enemy of the best. We forget. Uh, Jesus tore up a temple area. And remember as he tore it up, what did he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer. He does this in his words, in his focus, in his priority, in his ministry, but also in the first century church, the activity of the people, of his people. Acts 4.22 says they were devoted to the reading of God's word, apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, and prayer. It really behooves us to realize that in, God, in the church's agenda, the main thing is to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And in the words of Paul here, prayer is the most important thing the, the church does. It is a top priority. And I know you may push back at me. I, I, Andrew says there's maybe two dozen Bible college graduates in here. That scares me. But at the same time, you, you know of, of, we, of which the Bible speaks. So, but, so it would not be unlikely for you to say, particularly if you were from a Christian church restoration movement kind of a background, we pride ourselves being a people of the word. No creed but Christ, no, no book but the Bible. Isn't sound doctrine really the, real, the actual reality, or excuse me, the actual priority of the church? It is. And in this first chapter, first chapter that Andrew just finished taking us through, he, he expresses, P. Paul, expresses the concern for the proclamation and the declaration of the word of God. But he goes right on into the second chapter and just realize, in case you didn't know it, remember that the chapter divisions, like a big two, was not there when it made it to the church in a letter from Paul. Uh, it was not there um, in, in terms of, of any, any kind of division between the two sections. And so uh, these, these commands that, that were given in chapter 1 and will continue on in chapters, the ends of chapter 2 and following, they are all rooted so that the people could be taught and could be protected and could be discipled in a commitment to these verses. Believing prayer. As far as the mission of the church, the prayer is the basis for going out in mission. And it is not to just be praying off a list every once in a while as it comes to mind or shows up in a, in a, uh, a prayer list someplace. No, it's to be continual and habitual and perpetual prayer is not just a program in the church prayer is in fact the organic dna of the church at least the church where god lives and where god thrives and so when paul writes to the thessalonian church and says to pray without ceasing it's kind of like what mark was talking about it it's it's not that we do it that we do nothing but pray, but rather we should do nothing without prayer. And yes, there should be scheduled times of prayer. There should be 
spontaneous times of prayer. It should be the precursor of any strategy or planning. It should be central to the, pre, to the planning and strategy, and it should be the follow-up activity as you go forth from the planning into the actual operating. Prayer is where we get our creativity. Prayer from God. God is a creative God, and that's where we, we need to be, and he will provide what is appropriate for the needs of every moment. Then as a top priority, the praying church will, point two, pray by any means necessary. Paul's not just going to say pray and then just leave it at that and leave it to, to us to figure out what he's talking about. There is no vagueness in terms of the activity of prayer as far as Paul is concerned. He uses four words. I was told there are seven words used in the, in the Bible for prayer, and four, Paul uses four of them. I don't know what the other three are, so don't ask me, okay? But the four words describe the scope of prayer, how it reaches, the potential it has for changing things. And while Paul is certainly wants to emphasize the priority of prayer, it might be worth looking at these four words very quickly, petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving. And the first one there is petitions, supplications. The word supplications means that God's going to supply. And it means that we make a, a request that understands that without God, it is impossible. And we acknowledge that, in fact, we, we used to always say, let's do the kind of things that if God's not in it, we look like idiots. But if, if God's in it, it's to his glory, and, and nobody can miss the fact that God is at work in this place. This word kind of reminds us that, that when we pray, we are not praying like neighbor to neighbor. I, I mean, over time... I am probably going to find my way to a variety of my neighbors in Autumn Place to borrow stuff. We downsized and we came here and we got nothing. And so I'm going to go to you guys, Rich, Ron, the rest of you. I, I'm going to show up and, and see what you got. But I do it because I think we're equals. This isn't what petition is all about. Uh, petition, petitions in our relationship with God speaks to the fact that we understand who we are and who God is, and we understand that we have a deep spiritual need that only God can meet. For a church, maybe the most difficult and it, or maybe the most dangerous thing is the fact that much of the work of the church can be done without prayer. You can lead without prayer. You can preach without prayer. You can sing, you can teach, you can give. That can all be done without prayer. And when that happens, whatever happens is because we did it. By contrast, when we're talking to God and we're talking to, to him alone, what gets done is the kind of thing that only he alone can do. The second term that's used is the word prayers. I, 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 I didn't talk to Mark, but I thank you so much for the prayer time at the beginning in music this morning. 
because every one of those were, were reminding, even though prayer is the most common, it's the most comprehensive word for communication and, communica and communion with God, prayer is a word that we only use when we're talking about God. I don't say when I need to talk to my wife, I need to go pray with my wife. No, if anything, we're going to pray to our Heavenly Father. Prayer, is, prayer suggests uh, the fact that I'm talking to God. I understand who I'm talking to. And just like last week's message ended up, that he is immortal, eternal, invisible, the only wise God. We do it in our private times. That's where the genuine prayer starts. And then times like this morning will become just overflow of those personal prayer times. Then he talks about intercessions, not just prayers, but bold prayers on behalf of other people not saying them casually not like we're going through our list of prayer requests but purposefully and and persistently and passionately uh, that's what jesus did hebrews 7 5 says that's what jesus is doing in heaven 725 consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for us intercession is not just casually saying well can i you know here I, i've got a buddy and i need he needs some help and we need to be praying for him this is not giving god a reference about somebody we're praying on he's a good man we we i'd really like to to pray for his needs right now no they say that it's been said that in intercession is really like driving a loved one in a health situation dire health situation to the emergency room we do whatever it takes finally there's thanksgivings uh sometimes we think about thanksgiving as looking back to acknowledge what god has done it's also a faith an act of faith it's also an act of believing believing looking forward in anticipation that's what the communion message was all about this morning too that we look forward to what god will do and that the things we're, we're asking God to do are, in his time frame, already done. And that should give us peace. And that should give us confidence. And that should give us a boldness. And so here, Paul is urging the church to pray for all things that are necessary, whatever it takes. Supplication, intercession, thanksgiving. By all means, pay, pray. Eugene Peterson, in the paraphrase and devotional, I use it often as a devotional, the message, he takes this whole section and ties it with the next and says very simply, pray every way you know how for everyone you know. That pretty much says it. And a praying church also believes that prayer is going to change people. Sometimes we don't even believe prayer changes situations and circumstances, but it, it does, prayer does do that. The God, when God hears and it's according to his will, he does do that, but he also changes people. And one of the first people that God changes in prayer is me or you. He changes the, the one who is praying as well as others. And after all, we say all the time, the church is supposed to be about changing lives. Unbelievers to salvation and believers through sanctification. And that happens to the fullest when we harness the full power of prayer. 
prayer is a priority because as wonderful as it might be, as excellent as it might be, services, programs, activities do not change lives. Jesus changes lives. And we have the thrilling opportunity as a church to be the spiritual channel through which the power of God is manifested, and that happens when we pray. Next couple of verses tell us who we're supposed to pray for, and I know I'm not going to get you out ahead of the Baptists, so let's just stay and wait until they're done, and we'll go then. Okay? No. Next couple of verses talk about who to pray for is if we're going to be a church that is saturated with prayer. And first of all, the scope is that prayers are to be made for all people. If there's a word you're going to underline or circle in that, in that uh, text, that's a good one. Because prayer is a, fundamental, well, is a fundamental part of the Christian worship, yes. But in this context that we're talking about this morning, what Paul is talking about is evangelistic prayer. As Christians, we have needs, we have hurts, we have griefs, we have tasks, we have goals. All of those should be, should be ministered to by the prayers of the saints. Problem is, sometimes in our prayer meetings and in our, our group times of prayer, uh, they don't go much beyond those personal prayer matters. Uh, I, I doubt that any of you watched football yesterday, but I did. And uh, we watched football. And uh, I, I, I was watching the one game uh, late at night. It was Notre Dame and Ohio State. And I noticed how often they talked about the fact that they were trying to keep Ohio State from running up the score by... Being them by Notre Dame being on the field themselves all the time, and and that's a great strategy for a coach that may be somewhat uh, under undermanned or or uh, the the underdog in a situation. You keep a high-scoring football team from scoring by keeping their defense on the field, and if you keep their defense on the field, obviously they can't score except maybe a safety. Uh, but that is a scheme of the devil as it relates to the church. The devil would like the church to be so consumed with what's going on in our lives that we neglect to use the power of prayer, which is at our disposal, to change the world. And when the church realizes that power and appropriates that power, the devil flees in defeat. So we should pray for all people. And I'm not saying pray for every person. I, I, there are 8 billion people in the world. It could take a while. That would make for a long prayer meeting. But certainly we should pray for every person without distinction. We should pray most specifically for those that are lost. Friends, relatives, co-workers, neighbors, classmates. And certainly pray for the, for the people groups of our world who have never heard the gospel. And in the, as he goes on, the, the, he also emphasizes the fact that the focus of our prayer should not just be wide enough to encompass all people, but high enough to include all those people in powerful positions. We're supposed to pray for kings and for all those in authority. We pray believing with a confidence that God controls kings and presidents and rulers and even dictators 
Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. We should pray for our leaders because there's a spiritual benefit to that too. End of verse 3, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and, and holiness. You can easily tell the fellowship of a church and what's going on among them, whether, it is, whether prayer is of a primary focus or not. Because how we relate to God, how we relate to each other, how we interact with our community, uh, if it's dignified in the way it operates, if it's peaceful and quiet, as Paul says, uh, it's going to be because prayer is at the center. And it, Paul also suggests as a result that we must be free to live our lives, raise our families, do our work, serve the Lord, and spread the gospel because we pray. So what's the testimony of all this? Next verse. This is good. I'm not talking about appearance. I'm talking about the nature of the church. It's good. Paul is saying, if you're looking to join a good church, a praying church is a good church. More than that, it is, Paul says, pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And that's another, the last characteristic. The characteristic of a good church, a praying church, is one that prays prayers that are God-pleasing. What the church does does not necessarily need to be good in the sight of man. A church can be engaging in a lot of good things that are pleasing to the sight of man, but a praying church seeks one audience. It seeks the audience of God. And prayer will allow them to be centered in his will and his good pleasure and will pray accordingly. So the topic of our prayers is sure to please God. Verse 3 says, I guess the question is, what is, what is it that pleases God? Verse 3, we get the answer there and going on into verse 4. He is God our Savior. Verse 5 says, He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Regardless of how much we care about the physical condition of people, their health, their situation, their, their, everything they're going through in their lives, prayers that please God, first and foremost, recognize that without Christ... They're lost. And you pray for their salvation. That means that you pray with a realization that uh, the bad news of the gospel is that sin separates man from God. And the good news that we should promote with boldness and with opportunities to clearly declare it, God has provided a way of salvation for all people to be saved through the cross, through the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. But to receive salvation, it's not universal. To receive salvation, they must come to a personal knowledge of truth. God-pleasing prayers are the ones that seek the ways to communicate truth, never tiring, never abandoning it in spite of what may be 
apparent barriers because of culture or hardness of heart in the case of individuals, but realizing that there is no other way. Verses 5 and 6 say it clearly. It strengthens the urging back up in verse 1. You can almost draw an arrow up to it. For there is one God. Why should you pray? Why should you first of all pray? There's one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a, man, as a ransom for all. That's the truth that saves. And prayer gives us the boldness and the power and the wherewithal as individuals and the church to declare it in such a fashion that it will be embraced. It's the priority call of the people. It's the priority call of the church. And verse 8 concludes the lesson of this morning, offers a personal and a corporate challenge to all of us as we, as we leave here this morning. Paul says, I want men everywhere to pray. So church, let's put first things first. Let's pray. I plead with you to plead with God that prayer will be the first thing in your life and be the first thing in the life of the church. And let's get busy doing the spiritual work of the church. And by way of challenge, just to simply respond to the urgency and the priority of prayer, not by studying it, not by reading about it, but by doing it. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that your word leaves no doubt and that in its, in its clarity, it tells us how best to connect with you and in connecting with you, how best to, to win this world for you. Father, make your word active and alive in our hearts. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to conclude, and Mark's at the piano, and if you have a decision to make, either personal as it relates to Jesus Christ, as it relates to this congregation, if you come needing prayer, just come to the front. We've got leadership that would love to join you and come alongside you in those prayer matters. God bless you.